0: Welcome, back. Welcome to Decision, Decision space, space, the only show to take place right here, in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. Today
1: on the 101st episode of Decision Space, we're leading a session called Decision Space 101. Everything that you need to know to get into Decision Space. This episode, Jake and I decided to record as a gateway for new listeners, somewhere where you could point uh, you, hopefully you're a new listener, to to learn what Decision Space is, what we've been doing for the past 100 episodes, why we think our show stands aside as something really interesting and unique in the board game podcasting space. We want to get you up to speed. A lot has happened in the past two years, and we're going to reflect a little bit, but also help you find the best places to jump on the path and join us on this journey in Decision Space. And if you're a longtime listener, don't go anywhere. There's gonna be lots of great discussion about some of the past episodes that we've done, and also a look back at some of the lenses we've created over the course of this project that will absolutely be
0: relevant to you. And we'll be counting down our top 10 favorite episodes that we've ever done on this episode as well, so that should be fun. And if you're a new listener, welcome to Decision Space.
1: Yeah, Jake, I feel like the best place for us to start is with this core question that you post. If someone reached out to you and said, "Jake, I heard you have a podcast, or I heard about Decision Space. Where should I start? What would you say?"
0: So this is actually a question that we get quite a bit in the Discord. Um, so I think there are three really good answers to it. So I'm curious to hear what you have to say as well. But for me, I, I would say if if I was pointing somebody to one single episode, I would point them to games our agency as art uh, episode 67 where we interviewed philosopher ct nguyen i think that's just a really intriguing place to start um that kind of gets at the core of sort of what we're trying to accomplish with this show even though it sort of stands alone as like this wholly unique episode and i think that is the place to start especially if you're like what are hobby board games mm. you know So I think if you're like a brand new listener, brand new to board gaming, that would be the number one place to start. If you are already a hobby board gamer, place I would direct you is would be to look through our catalog of episodes and pick the board game that we've done a deep dive that you enjoy the most that you are most knowledgeable and proficient in pick that and listen to that deep dive episode. Uh, And I think that will be a great way to for you to sort of understand what we're doing here through your knowledge of that game and probably also figure out if this type of deep dive that we do here uh, is something that you find value in and enjoy listening to. And then number three, I would say if you're a fan of somebody that we've interviewed outside of ourselves, whether that might be CT Nguyen or Jamie Stegmeyer of Stonemaier Games, Paul Solomon, designer of Honeybuzz, or Uh, gnarly carly gaming, like picking an episode with one of those folks that you might already have some context with, whether through following their content or playing their games might be a great way to sort of like jump in and see what we're all about too. So those are my like three distinct starting points for a new listener.
1: I think that's perfect, Jake, and you sort of captured it. So I'll just add that if you're totally new to decision space, take two episodes. So we really do two primary episode types. We do these board game deep dives. That's your peanut butter. So you want to get in there and enjoy the peanut butter, explore the games that you know well at first. And then I really encourage you to dip into some of the games that you don't know, and maybe exploring them from alongside us in one of these episodes will help you learn if you're interested in the type of decisions that games offer. And then there's the chocolate episodes, the topical discussions where we talk about things like objectives in games or theme. And we're going to get into our favorites of both of these episode types as we continue this discussion. But I'll say if you're trying out decision space and you could come here, try the peanut butter and try the chocolate. Hit a topical discussion and hit a game discussion. So you need both. It's the whole decision space package and it's, it's, that's what makes it special.
0: The last thing I would add to this prompt about where to start and this coming from me as the one who does the editing on the show is that we actually I specifically got a new microphone that has really improved our audio quality. That was something I was able to purchase thanks to our Patreon supporters. So thank you so much for that. And that really increased our sound quality starting in episode 75. So we're going to be talking about episodes that date all the way back to the beginning and i think there's tons of valuable discussions starting right with episode one but if you are somebody who you know you would know this about yourself or an audiophile really have a hard time listening to things that aren't like up to super high quality standards not that the other ones are unlistenable episode 75 and on is where we really increase that audio quality to to a place that i'm much happier with that's that's great
1: jake and i will say i don't think any of those earlier episodes are unlistenable by any stretch of imagination yet there there's good audio content quality from the start but that that upgrade really does make a difference now it's just like jake's in a studio instead of being in a car
0: a little tinny i don't know
1: yeah maybe in an apartment with a bathroom that jake's hiding in let's call it (laughs) that
0: okay that sounds good great
1: so I think at the outset too, Jake, we should really reflect on the mission of the show, what we've been trying to do for these last hundred episodes, uh, both as a way to sort of cue in new listeners and then also just talk about where we're going uh, and what we want to do going forwards. So I think the, the most important question to kick things off is why decisions? Why is this a podcast where the primary lens is analyzing decisions in games specifically? These games are big. There's so many things that people could focus on. So why'd we pick decisions?
0: I think for me, it comes down to a couple of factors. Of course, always a couple of factors. (laughs) Uh, The first being, I think that it is something that differentiates us from some of the other podcasts that are out there. You know, there are so many amazing podcasts that I know and love. I'm not going to try and name all of them, but I'm sure there. if you're listening to this, there are probably other podcasts in the board gaming space that you listen to as well or at least are familiar with that really do a good job of like covering new hot games, right? What people are playing now and a lot of times those reviews just focus on uh, sort of the, the theme, the value, the mechanics uh, and the general feel of the gameplay just to kind of give you that general impression but they don't really dive deep into the actual decisions you get to make in those games so i think that was important to me uh, as you know sort of strategically to differentiate this show from others that are already out there but also because that's just how i think about games right that's naturally the way that i approach board games the ones i play uh and, and and the way i've always sort of talked about them from day one so i think it fits with who i am too as a game player and someone who likes to explore this hobby space.
1: Yeah. And I'll just add that I think that decisions are so much of a reason why we often enjoy games. But like you said, Jake, it's not always when we discuss media, when we're coming from different forms of entertainment, whether it's watching movies or reading books, we, we develop a lot of language to discuss that media experience, whether it's talking about, you know, sort of the pace of it or how visually it impacts us. And I think that because of that, humans are really good at discussing those aspects of art and entertainment, board games included. But I think that board games certainly aren't un- a unique form of entertainment in the fact that they have decisions. Lots of hobbies have decisions in them. But I think that they're an aspect of games that make games feel special. They're so emphasized in games. And I know I personally wanted to develop a richer toolkit for discussing different types of decisions in games and how games impact and influence how I experience them. Um, So that's just sort of like a lifelong quest that as a designer and game player and... uh, person who's interested in understanding games more because i love them so much i wanted to do so i wanted to go on that journey with you and all of our listeners because i think we can learn a lot about games and why we love them just by coming from that vantage point
0: point. and also the name of our podcast decision space is no accident not only is this literally a space that Brent and i get together to talk with you listeners about decisions in games but also it's a term in the board game hobby that has been thrown around certainly since I've been in the hobby, but usually on other shows and other forms of board game media, you'll hear kind of phrases like, oh, that, I love the decision space in this game, or this game has a really rich decision space, or uh, maybe a, a shallow one, which, which made me bounce, off or I bounced off the decision space without like a lot of exploration of like, okay, but what does that mean? So I think part of the quest is just to sort of answer that question and and like you're saying, add some terminology that can help us convey more of those thoughts and feelings to the audience. Totally.
1: I think Jake, it might be natural to state like three goals of the show that I have written down here. And then we can read a listener mail from a longtime listener. Cause sometimes it's easier to reflect on what you're doing by listening to what someone else says you're doing. And if it's really succinct, It can be great. So we're going to do that. Here's the three goals, Jake, and then you can sort of maybe confirm if you're on board with all these three goals. So number one, leverage the lens of decisions to better understand games, how and why they work. That we just kind of covered. I think that's clearly a solid goal of the show. Number two, create evergreen deep dives of games that capture the essence of playing a game and unpacking their decisions. Yeah, 100%. We do that all the time on the show. It's like 50% of the episodes we've ever made.
0: I, and I think that's something I really want to like credit you with. That's something mm. you've really driven from the beginning of making sure that we are creating something that is evergreen, especially with the deep dives. Mm. And sometimes the topical discussions, we might talk about some of these episodes later of like, I just went to a convention and played these 19 games. That might not hold up as well in five and, or 10 years, but when The episode is like, this was my experience learning Tigris and Euphrates. And and now what we think that decision space is after so many plays, that really is something that holds up over time.
1: Yeah, and I think that that was a stated goal, like you said, for my part from the beginning. Just because it does allow people to go back and check out those episodes, and I think it might be of interest to note too that how we talk about games will shift over time. So interestingly, it kind of becomes a some interesting artifacts maybe of how we even see games and approach them. And I think my goal and your goal too, to some extent, with those episodes, Jake, is you should just be able to listen to one of those episodes, even if you've never played the game, but walk away from it saying, "Oh, I think." making decisions in this game would feel this way. And then that's a win for me, if if listeners could
0: Yeah, I, and to put an even finer point on it, as we explore decision space, sort of a sub goal there would be that somebody could listen to our episode and think whether or not this is a decision space that they would want to seek out and explore on their own. Yeah, you know, compared to Other shows that are offering other vantage points and perspectives that help people understand if they might like a game based on the things they're looking at. Like, can we do the same, but from this lens of decision focus? Totally.
1: Okay. Here's the final one, and we've talked about this some already as well. But I just want to make sure it's stated up up at the top. Equip ourselves with the language and perspective on why we enjoy games, some games more than others, from the vantage point of decisions specifically.
0: That sounds good here.
1: Jake, do you want to read Upmanity's listener comment?
0: Sure. So as, as Brendan mentioned, we're going to read just a little bit of listener mail to give the perspective of one of our longtime listeners and Patreon supporter um, for their experience with Decision Space thus far. So this comes from Upmanity in our Discord. If you ever want to join our Discord community, uh, we have a very active community we're incredibly grateful for. That is really, truly a supplement to the show. You know, all the ga- all the episodes we talk about have a uh, discussion that extends beyond just the podcast uh, into the Discord. Uh, and, and a lot of times I feel that the best insights come there um, in sort of the subsequent conversation uh, that really helps push our understanding and thinking too. So, the link to that is as always in the show notes of the podcast. So, we would welcome all new listeners to join us there and jump in that discussion. But anyway, this is Upt Manatee's comment. They say, I started listening to the podcast at the Underwater Cities episode, discovering it since I'm subscribed to that game on Board Game Geek. I'm really drawn to the pod because it's similar to one of my favorite parts of the hobby, the post game debrief. Not because I want to try hard but because I think it's super fun to analyze games and experiences at a slightly deeper level. It probably comes from years of MTG, where you get to chat about thoughts and musings in between draft rounds or on forums. That's a background that we both share as well. These kinds of chats I feel are somewhat difficult to find online for hobby board games because it, it a bit falls in between people enjoying just casually playing within their own groups, slash playing games only once or twice and people that are way too into and try-harding the competitive mindset of a specific game. Bring it back to the pod. I still enjoy the discussions even if it's not about a specific game or specifically the decision space of it. I just like the discussion going a bit deeper than the usual surface level reviewy stuff that is on most other podcasts. I've really liked your lenses and other non-game related episodes. Those are also some of the post-game discussions that I have on game nights when the conversation drifts away from the game we played, sometimes because we springboard from that discussion into a larger topic, like about a mechanism or some other phenomena that was relevant to the night's game.
1: Jake, thank you for reading all that. And up, uh, thanks for so succinctly saying what, sort of capturing what we're trying to get at. And I, I just want to highlight, you know, in the intro to the show, Jake, we always say, welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns of your favorite games. And I think this comment from Up Manatee sort of gets at what we're trying to get at with that intro, which is that this is really supposed to be something like a deeper reflection on the games we play together uh, and an opportunity for us all to sort of play games together via the Discord, like you said, Jake, and just to kind of take it one step further than we normally would and help each other figure out how to.
0: Is Yes, it's that and it's, Like literally that experience you have when you're playing a game, right? And you're thinking about what do I do now? And it's where your brain travels to, right? That is the decision space. And like that is the core of what we're trying to pull apart and understand.
1: Yeah, that sensation of going deeper.
0: Totally. Jake, I think that's
1: a really good intro. Um, to what the show is and what we're trying to do and what we offer listeners and maybe what we offer that's a bit different than some of the other board game media content out there. Maybe now would be the best time to get into this list of the top 10 Touchstone episodes, uh, episodes that we're proud of and we think make for good starting places. But I know before we do that, Jake and I each have two honorable mentions of episodes that we really enjoy that we would recommend listening to, but maybe don't quite fit into that succinct list of top 10. And I will say, if we cover one of the episodes in which we talk about those lenses, the language we've developed to look at different, to discuss decision spaces, we'll sort of dwell on that and discuss uh, how we feel about those lenses now and maybe detail them a little bit in short. So you can get a quick, you can decide if maybe that would be of interest to you.
0: Sounds great. So I'll get started with my honorable mentions briefly. And my first honorable mention, probably a surprise to nobody in the Discord, but it is episode 29, The Sport of Kickball. And this would be a little bit unfair to include on our top 10 list because it's one of the very few episodes that Brendan wasn't on. But this game, this podcast episode holds a really special place in my heart because uh, just the way it came about was very different uh, rather than recording virtually with a, uh, a Zencaster room like we're doing now. I was actually sitting in the living room of a friend's house back home in Lawrence, Kansas, with two very good friends of mine, and also who happened to be two of the best kickball players in that entire community and the world. Um, and we just sat around and tried to apply the same decision space lens to a sport that the three of us knew intimately well. And and I think the, the results were really fun and exciting. Uh, I mean, I just had a blast doing it. Uh, and it's something I want to do more of with this show. So it, it's, it's a unique episode in that it's obviously not covering a board game. But I think it proves as a case study that this same lens could be used to apply to other, other types of games besides just once we played our table. And something I want to continue in the future potentially with a disc golf episode um, or, or or some others like it. Nice.
1: Yeah, I think that one awesome thing that I remember about that episode is it is definitely a conversation from people who love the game of kickball, the sport of kickball. <laughs> and that reminds me so much of our coverage of hobby board games in a way that's sort of, I don't know, it, it's just heartwarming to hear people who love something so much talk about it and to get insights into it as an outsider. And I am an outsider to the game of kickball
0: yeah and my next honorable mention is episode 68 reviewing 14 games uh and our geekway convention recap and this is all just a personal bias pick where it was really fun for me because i just had a weekend at the geekway convention playing all these different games and uh it got to be it it was sort of the, the jake show on that week's episode where i got to basically get interviewed by brendan and talk about these experiences that i've had with all these games and i think it's another Fun and unique episode. It's really a closer approximation of sort of the more reviewy <laughs> type content that Optimandy was talking about above that isn't typical of our show. But I think any opportunity that we just get to like cover a bunch of different games is kind of rare for us. And I think it's always exciting when we do it. Um, so that, that was a really fun one where if you're interested in just hearing our thoughts or my thoughts specifically, on a bunch of different games. That's a, that's a good one to go to for that. That's
1: a great episode too, because Jake, you mentioned some of the games that we would go on to cover on the show. Like you played Bonfire at Geekway, and you played Rift Force at Geekway. So I think that that episode could lean to more listening if you if you're interested in some of the games we discuss. So all
0: right, Brendan, let's hear your honorable mentions.
1: Okay, so my first honorable mention is a recent episode, episode 97, which is the deep dive into BattleCon the tabletop fighting game for two players uh, with advanced options for more. Jake and I, I recommend this episode because what you'll hear is Unbridled Passion from two people who really love that game and also enjoy games from the genre it's emulating quite a bit. I think that it is an episode, if you have any interest in sort of classic 2D video game-based fighting games, it's a great one to listen to because Jake and I sort of talk about how Battlecon matches or... Deals with adapting that genre to tabletop and some of the challenges that go along with adaptation, and how Battlecon sort of crushes the ball out of the park in terms of adapting something else, but creating something new that's respectful and thoughtful and additive in what it's trying to really try to adapt.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's a really fun episode and it was really validating too. We posted a link to this in the Uh, level 99 games discord and they're like for their battle con enthusiasts and it's always kind of nerve-wracking when we share our episode deep dives with like an audience that's way more knowledgeable about the subject matter than we are but in this case the the group really responded warmly to it and kind of you know gave us the feeling that we got it, you know, and we're just, which isn't always the case, you know, sometimes <laughs> audiences are are pretty harsh um, when we we come through, not that we are claiming to be experts at all, but uh, it, it felt good to get that feeling of like, oh, we, we actually we did this right, totally. at least in their eyes.
1: Yeah, yeah. My next episode that I want to recommend is another game episode. This is episode 79, a deep dive of the Isle of Cats. This is a polyomino tile laying game in which you're trying to rescue cats from an island and fill up your board i think this is a really strong episode because it's a game that jake and i knew was very popular but i think both went in thinking it might not be a game for us there's a lot of systems in the game that all interlink and it makes the game a bit of a bear to learn it feels like there's a lot of things between you and what you're trying to do in the game but it turned out that jake and i both actually quite enjoyed the isle of cats And it also gave way for a discussion of a new sort of lens that we brought into the show, which is this discussion of mechanical artifice, which is...
0: Yeah, why don't you just define it real quick? Yeah, essentially
1: mechanical artifice is... Jake's laughing because we have a whole episode dedicated to this topic and trying to get to the bottom of what this feeling is. We do not. (laughs) We do, don't we? <laughs> I don't
0: know. We do. Well, we, do think, we do have an episode. I was saying we do not get to the bottom of it. Oh, yeah. We do not episode. get to the bottom of it. We yeah. do
1: have an episode. Yeah. Yes. It's a great conversation. That's right. Well, mechanical Artifice, though, is essentially whenever you have multiple systems interacting with each other within a game. Uh, they, so it creates space between you and what you're trying to accomplish in the game. Such that you have to interact with one system to interact with the next, which adds this different kind of complexity than if you have lots of adjacent systems where you don't have to go through one to get to the other. Um, in the Isle of Cats, that ends up being you have to draft and then collect fish that you use to attract cats, but you have to have baskets to put those fish to put those cats into. Once you pay with fish, and there's two different places to take cats from. It adds a lot of complexity in this specific type and that conversation ended up being sort of a brainstorm jumping off point in addition to the deep dive. So it's a great one.
0: Yeah, and Isle of Cats if you're familiar with this game is such an excellent example for Mechanical Artifice because in the episode, we just talk about the main game, but I've since played the family version of the game, which is literally just Isle of Cats without mechanical artifice. So you can literally, with the one game, you would get both versions. And it's such a clear idea of like what mechanical artifice is or can be.
1: We said to Jake, that we'd reflect on the lenses a little bit as we as they come up in discussing episodes. And I know that will come up a lot more in the top 10. Um, But where are you sort of at, I guess, really quickly with mechanical artifice? Like, do you think it's a a rich term that you'll keep going back to? Do you think about it when you play games?
0: That's a tough question. I think it's definitely one that we need to continue to work on to get like a real concrete definition, because I think like what you said makes sense. But it, it has this challenge where if you're actually trying to define mechanical artifice, where every game is like, okay, the goal is to score points and everything in between you and getting points can be considered mechanical artifice. So like, where do you draw the line with it? And I think that's where we need to like figure out like an intuitive way that we can say like, you know, getting the cat onto the boat isn't the mechanical artifice, even though that is something that also leads to eventual points. It's like the stuff in between the cat on the boat, but not everything. So I think that's the challenge there and why, People, I think, had a really difficult time sort of like understanding and coming to a consensus about how helpful this is or not.
1: I think and for me, I keep going back to thinking about that episode. There was a ton of discussion after the fact on discussing mechanical artifice in that episode specifically. I wish I had the episode number handy, but I don't. You'll have to look for it on our website or uh, a quick Google search. But I think for me, that's a really fun knot to keep trying to unpick, and thinking about why some games their complexity feels different in nature than others, uh, and the ways in which systems can interact to create sort of additive complexity, where each system on its own feels rather simple, but combined, there's sort of this amplified effect that makes the puzzle. Uh, more precarious to navigate. And I think I'm really interested in that from a design perspective and understanding how that as a tool can be used to create richer puzzles, uh, but done so in a way that don't make them too uh, opaque in nature where players can't approach them as they're learning and feel a little bit lost in navigating the decisions initially.
0: I did look it up. So if you're interested in hearing more thoughts on mechanical artifice, that would be episode 84 nice brendan what do you think we use the last 30 minutes of this episode to get to our top 10 touchstone episodes that we recommend people check out if you're new to decision space or perhaps aren't new but haven't yet heard all of these i think that that would be perfect okay
1: that's sort of maybe we'll intersperse them some jake they're listed on our screen uh sort of all topical first and i think that i want to slide in and start with some game episodes and kind of Slice them in for the sake of the discussion. So,
0: And this is not in order, right? These are just 10 Touchstone episodes. Exactly.
1: So episode 57 was an episode on a game called Broom Service. It is a deep dive. And Broom Service, I recommend this episode, and Jake does as well, because it is one of Jake and I's absolute favorite games. Broom Service has a, a pretty unique decision space, and it offers a unique template for making decisions within the game because all the players share these cards with actions on them but essentially if someone goes first and they try to take an action if a player following them behind them in turn order would play that action uh, if they choose to be brave and get a stronger action, but someone behind them plays that same action, they're going to lose their action completely. So it creates a lot of tension and exciting moments as players try to guess what their opponents will do and plan around that. At higher player counts, this game can be a little bit zany while still having the strong underpinning of uh, strategic euro... Um, what do I want to say? Robustness? It just feels like a very fair and uh, well-structured game. And at two players, it feels this like this incisive... Uh, knife fight as you try to get inside each other's brain with a scalpel, figure out what they're gonna do, and stop their plans from ever happening in the first place.
0: Yeah. I I think it's a great deep dive to highlight because unlike some of the other games that are more just like traditional efficiency heroes, which I don't say dismissively, that's my favorite genre of game, <laughs> is Room Service like really plays with like the psychological aspect of like knowing yourself, knowing your opponent, and kind of gets into this donkey space which is when like i know that you know that i know right it's like okay clearly you're trying to get to the mountains it's obvious that like you're going there but like because i know that and you know that i know that maybe you don't take the mountain witch card to do that and a lot of games i think like profess to have this sort of gambit going on but don't actually leverage it in such a satisfying and fun way and broom service is just like one of the best examples of like really getting in there and and enjoying that sort of experience with friends around the table
1: so that was episode 57 on broom service
0: yeah so the next one we have listed in our top 10 touchstone episodes is one that i think is like mandatory listening if you want to get into this show because it's something that we Of all the lenses, I think it's the one that we uh, use the most in each subsequent deep dive episodes. And this is episode 12, a new way to talk about games. And this is where we kind of really put together the framework for different types of decision spaces that we now always try and characterize in each subsequent game deep dive.
1: Yeah, so this episode was really exciting because Jake and I sort of started this project and we knew that we wanted to change the way that we think about decisions in games. And one thing that I think we quickly realized is that all games have different shapes of decision spaces, right? There's some where your decisions, uh, you're offered relative few options at the start, and then they grow precipitously. Engine building games often take this form and those games end up having this sort of overall waxing arc where... Over the course of the game, the decision space is growing and growing and growing, Where and then there's sort of the opposite of that. There's waning decision space games where the board will start really open, and you have lots of options in front of you. And oftentimes, as those games go on, your options reduce and reduce and reduce, and oftentimes, the final turn of the game might be the one in which a player runs out of decisions at all. Uh, And then we talk about dynamic decision spaces and static decision spaces and try to sort of fit as many different types of decision spaces into those four buckets as we can. If you're interested in the pre-episode, we talk about in the welcome to episode, which is a really good one. You hear some of the inner workings of that, uh, those ideas sort of coming to take form that we then summarize in this episode, which is episode 12. Uh, like you said, Jake, I think this is a, a really important sort of framework for us and and thinking about it. And we've both realized the ways in which these different types of decision spaces really affect how they feel. I think we also have realized as time has gone on that you can't always fit games super cleanly into one category, that lots of games have sort of different systems that are going in one direction or another. And what that makes the predominant feel of the game feel like sometimes uh, is tough to parse. But I think that this is a really good starting point for discussing games' decision spaces. And it, it always kicks off an interesting discussion for us.
0: Yeah. To to our goal about like helping people understand if this is a, ga- a game they might like or not like via exploration of the decisions in that game, I think the shape of the decision space has been like so key mm. and helpful in that. Because I've definitely realized there are certain shapes of decision spaces that I'm more likely to like than others. So like for me, I really tend to like waning decision space games in general. And we've even like with help from listeners in the discord to flesh out these topics, we've even like been able to identify more specific shapes. So like a punctuated waning decision space game, uh, maybe more on that in just a second uh, I've found is, is a decision space that like almost always I'm going to like really, really enjoy. And, and I've, you know, after kind of exploring that and realizing it and then like comparing it back to my top 10 favorite games of all time like oh wow like many of these share the exact same decision space shape Um, so i just think that's helpful and i really want to credit you again for sort of leading the creation of this framework because i really feel like doing this show right we want to put out something that people enjoy and that's like a, a contribution but like i think this sort of framework really felt new and when we did this in episode 12 i was like okay wow that really feels like a contribution to the hobby and the type of discussion that can take place and i I don't you know that's not something i would say lightly
1: thank you jake and i think that for me this is what sort of emphasizes what you just said is it kind of changed the whole way that i just look at games uh, and think about games generally and it's it's sort of fun from a design perspective also to think about okay this game has a has a waning decision space that means the end of this game is going to be Particularly tense, maybe? What can I do to sort of emphasize that tenseness? Or maybe I don't, I want to create a waning decision space that feels less tense. How can I go about doing that? It sort of gives you a way to think about the experience of playing games just based on the shape of the decision space that's transferable in a way that you can learn more about games generally just by taking a step back and viewing it through this lens. So here, it's definitely something I'm really proud of. And I think, like Jake said, mandatory listening, episode 12, a new way to talk about games. And that's our earliest top 10 recommend.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. So you can skip one through 11. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next one up is episode 47. And this is going to be a continuation of that last discussion. In episode 47, we discuss Azul as a deep dive feature review. And what we really, I think the key learning and takeaway from this episode that we The reason it's appearing on this list and something that we've thought about moving forward is that there can be such thing as like a twin decision space and often in games that otherwise seem very dissimilar. So in this episode, we sort of pose the question, like, does Azul have the same type of decision space as the Castles of Burgundy, another sort of famed game that I think most people wouldn't really categorize as the same thing? But I think we come up with like a really compelling case that both of these share that punctuated, waning decision space, which now I can define as a waning decision space where your options shrink down, but then are refilled at specific points in the game. So in both Azul and Castles of Burgundy, you will have a bunch of tiles come out at the beginning of a round. They will all be dispersed among players. And then at the beginning of a new round, a punctu- at a punctuated moment, uh, all the tiles are refilled and then you play that waning game down again and yeah I think to me that was like a pretty crazy revelation and really got me thinking about like what are some of the other uh, games that might share this shape and, and do I like those and I found out yes in fact like it turns out Bruges another one of my favorite games also shares that exact same shape
1: Yeah, I think that this episode would be a really insightful second listen after that first one as we sort of delve into the topic more. And I think Azul in general is just a great starting point because it's a simple enough game that you can really get under the hood and unpack the decisions in it, which we also do in that episode. And that's kind of one of the goals that we try to approach, especially when we cover simpler games on the show. Awesome. Okay, so that was episode 47, Azul. The next episode on our list is another topical discussion, which we always call these episodes what we talk about. So you'll hear that come up a little bit. But this is episode 36, a new way to talk about theme. This episode was created in response to this feeling and sensation and this conversation that I've seen come up in board games for almost forever, since I've been in the hobby at least, which is that some people find uh, games by this designer, Rainer Knizia, really thematic. They say like, oh my gosh, this this game just feels so thematic to me. And other people will always invariably come into this conversation and say, what are you talking about? His games are themeless. There's no theme here whatsoever. And Jake and I wanted to sort of unpack why that is. How could two people play the same game and one person saying, this is a thematic win, I feel like this is such a thematic experience. And someone else will say, What are you talking about? There's just no theme here. It's clearly abstract in nature. So in this episode, we we had a lot of discussions around this, both Jake and I together with members of our Discord community. And we sort of broke down that there's really three primary ways, three types of theming in games, and, and ways that games can in, uh, express their theme. There's environmental theming, which is sort of all of the ways in which the game's presentation conveys its theme. It's the setting would be included in this also. Like what is the some people will say, what is the theme of the game? Oh, its theme is space. I think what they're actually talking about is the environmental theming of the game and the setting. The art
0: assets. And I think yep. and I traditionally I think this is when people just say board game theme, this is what they're thinking about they're kind of getting out. Yeah. Yeah. Then there's that the, would be my guess anyway.
1: I think so too. Then there's the mechanical theming. Basically, how do the mechanics of the game evoke particular feelings and make you uh, feel what you feel uh, within the game? So, games that have strong mechanical feeling oftentimes convey a particular perspective through literally the mechanics themselves. And then finally, there's the what we call in the episode decisional theming, and what we've now started to call this a little bit more or the a gentle feeling so how much do making decisions within the game make you feel like what is being portrayed is actually happening so this is sort of the type of theming where in a lot of reiner kinesia's games where people will say tigers and euphrates isn't a thematic game it's an abstract game there's no theme there and other people will say no it's so thematic you get to see the rise and fall of civilizations Maybe Tigris isn't the best example, because I don't know how much you feel like a leader in that game, but you definitely feel that you are contributing to the rise and fall of these little simulated civilizations, excuse me, across the Fertile Crescent.
0: Yeah, exactly. And the way I think we put it on the episode that I really like would be environmental theming is like, does it look like farming? Mechanical theming is like, are the mechanics related to farming, right? Are you... Uh, planting crops or you know harvesting crops trading crops and then a gentle theme would be do i feel like a farmer (laughs) when i'm playing this game
1: totally so that's episode 36 a new way to talk about theme one that will definitely give you food for thought about how games express what they're about through what they are
0: yeah and we don't really talk about theme much in most of our deep dives just because of our lens right we're focusing yeah. specifically on decisions in games so it doesn't always make a ton of sense or there's not like necessarily like an easy smooth transition to theme all the time and just saying like now we're going to talk about feels like right that is a little bit straying away from like our mission with this show but having said that like i wish we could find a way to like incorporate. This discussion maybe a little bit more in some of our deep dives Mm -hmm. because the more i play games the more i realize you know even the environmental theme like the art assets of a game can be just so important in putting you in this like mental space like you know how uh, how much the the art feels like space and farming or whatever like does that change the way you enter decision space and think through those decisions i think it does
1: yeah I think that that's a really good goal for the next the next hundred episodes, integrating that a a bit more. And maybe we can specifically do that in our next deep dive episode, uh, which we'll talk about what game that's going to be at the end of the show. But our next game here, actually, Jake, I sort of intro the last one. Do you want to intro this one?
0: We're on to episode number 58, a new way to talk about objectives in games. So this is another what we talk about episode. And I think you can kind of get clued into like, if we say like a new way to talk about something in one of our episode titles, we probably think it's important (laughs) because we probably think that it is working towards our goal of like equipping ourselves with language to better convey ideas about decision space, ideas about decisions in games and, and board gaming in general. And in this one, we are talking about the way board games can use objectives to change a decision space and we identify three different types of objectives one would be solitary a single objective that players are trying to achieve to win the race for example be the first to cross the finish line be the first to 20 points Um, a juxtaposed objective would be two objectives that players need to work towards but that don't
1: They're mutually exclusive.
0: Mutually exclusive. Thank you. And then finally, overlaid objectives, which would be two or more objectives that players can work towards. But like one achieving one might also be helping you achieve a secondary goal as well.
1: And that different type of objective design really changes the decision space, right? Because if you have to, if it's a juxtaposed objectives game where you have to choose path A or path B to score points, that comes with really different types of decisions than a game that has all overlaid objectives where you're trying to accomplish lots of goals all at the same time. And you're trying to find the most efficient way to meet lots of different criteria that leads to a very different experience of making decisions in that game. And within this episode, uh, again, it's this is episode 58, a new way to talk about objectives in games, we go through lots of game examples and sort of use popular games to talk about Uh, Games that feature primarily solitary objectives or primarily juxtaposed or primarily overlaid. And we talk about some games that actually offer sort of hybrids of both and how that changes the experience of those games as well. So I really recommend you go listen to episode 58, A New Way to Talk About Objectives in Games. This is the lens that I still think about all the time. It's not the driving force when I'm thinking about a game, but invariably when I'm learning a game uh, and I'm thinking about the objectives in it, I sort of go to this this framework and I sort of say, oh yeah, these are sort of juxtaposed objectives. And I find that I sort of lean towards games that have overlaid scoring opportunities. I like the puzzle of trying to efficiently pursue a few different point scoring outlets at once.
0: Yeah. One thing that people often say when they're new to our show or new to our discord, it's like, oh, I found you because I was like wanted to learn strategy for like terraforming Mars or like I wanted to get better at underwater cities. So I looked up your podcast on it. And that's definitely not explicitly a goal of our show of helping people get better at games. Like we never claim to be expert levels at any of the games that we cover, but maybe with like very few exceptions. And while that's not like an explicit goal, I think some people have found that some discussions have helped them and i think that this episode might be one that can help mm-hmm. you it's kind of like a general lens that you can apply to any games that might help you like think about your strategy and, and reformulate your strategy in different ways like can you identify what type of objective the game has and if so you know you can use that to inform the decisions that you make in, in a kind of a, a way that i think is unique to some of the other lenses that we've done
1: Totally. So it's episode 58, a new way to talk about objectives in games. The next episode that we want to point you to, Jake has already mentioned, that's episode 67, Games Agency as Art, a new way to talk about games with C.T. Wynn. So C.T. Wynn is a philosopher who writes about games, about society, about incentives, about gamification, and I think a little bit about trust, which is sort of interesting. But specifically, this episode is jumps off on His book specifically, which is called Games Agency as Art, the thesis of which are that games are a unique type of human art. And what is unique about it is that we experience different types of agencies through the play of games. This ends up being a deep, sweeping, and I would say energetic conversation on that idea and a lot of others with mostly not us talking, but C.T. Wynn. Uh, which is great because he's eloquent, interesting, and there's so many different ways in which that conversation runs that will make you think about games uh, at a deeper, more interesting level. So that's a huge recommend for me.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's it's funny because it's the one I recommend to people in my life who I know aren't necessarily like hobby board gamers the most, because I think it's like just a really fascinating lecture. But it's funny because like, I don't think I like talk until like, 10 minutes into the episode, I can like finally get a word in edgewise. So it truly is Dr. Wynn lecturing, I think it feels like that type of lecture, but like, this is not, I, I don't want to like scare anybody away. Like, Oh, I don't want like a professorial lecture. It is not like that. Uh, it's I guess we could say it is the only episode that we've ever had to put a language disclaimer on. That's true. Front of <laughs> it's basically
1: exactly what you just said, except the lectures happening at your board game table. Exactly. Yeah
0: with your friend who's like way smarter than you 100
1: <laughs> so that's episode 67 games agency as art a new way to talk about games with ct1 all
0: right this next one is kind of a cheat because it's episode 62 and 63 and this is the first and only two-part game deep dive that we've ever done and that was on tigris and euphrates the legendary game by uh, dr reiner knizia One of the interesting things about this episode is it was not planned as a two-part episode. We did our original episode as we always do, and I think left both us feeling slightly dissatisfied with kind of how far we were able to get with this game that just offers so much depth. Actually, somebody just commented Hilariously in our Discord recently, like I just finished 30 games of Tigers and Euphrates. Like, when will I understand what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> and and that was pretty much the experience I had trying to learn this game. So the first part of this episode is really like me grappling with the learning experience of Tigers and Euphrates. And then based on kind of our own interpretation of how the episode went and follow-up conversation with people in our Discord, we decided to do a part two where we could kind of get deeper into the decision space exploration that we had kind of intended in the first episode but didn't get to. And I think together, the pair ends up being like a very unique episode series for us, And I but end up working out really well so much so that it's something we want to try and potentially do more of in the future to really like give these games, especially big games like this, the time and space they need to breathe.
1: Tigris and Euphrates was the number one game on Board Game Geek for a really long time, and it has fallen quite a bit, but it has this sort of legendary place in the hobby. So, in that episode, I think Jake and I were doing our best to also sort of contextualize the game within history. Uh, So, at the start, I did a bunch of research about Reiner Knizia, the develop of development of this game, uh, in the background and where how it sort of came to be. So, we talk about that history, and then, like Jake said, it sort of ends up being this perfect foil between someone who really loves the game me and someone who had a pretty painful experience learning the game but i think wanted to explore it really deeply and is sort of grappling with why maybe that game doesn't completely align with more modern sensibilities in a way that reveals some really interesting things about just decisions in games generally. So if you're a Reiner Kinesia fan, listen. If you're a Tigers and Euphrates fan, definitely listen. And even if you don't have much of an interest in Reiner Knizia or Tigers and Euphrates, I think listening to this episode might teach, help you understand more why.
0: Yeah. Or maybe if you played it once and you're like, I don't like this at all. And yeah. you're looking for <laughs> an explanation for why you feel that way when so many people think this is the greatest game of all time or, or near it. I think that you would also find a lot totally. uh, to... You can kind of commiserate with me <laughs> in, uh-huh. the, in that first episode, especially.
1: So those are episodes 62 and 63, Tigris and Euphrates. So the next episode that we recommend, and there's three more, uh, the final two are kind of a, a pair, but this next one is episode 74, depth and size in board games, what we talk about. So basically, Jake and I, for a long time, had sort of danced around this this topic, which is that when people talk about decision spaces, they talk about oh, that feels like a really big decision space, or that feels like a really deep decision space. And
0: We did that a lot in the early episodes too, yeah.
1: Exactly, and I think we wanted to make more specific the conversation and our language on the show uh, about those topics, so we went and explored conversations that had already happened uh, in the academic space on depth in games, and we talked about size as well, talking about concepts like decision space, tree size, and branch factor. Nodes, Nodes, (laughs) exactly. We really dive into sort of, you know, people will talk about decision trees. This is the episode where we speak to that a little bit more directly on the show. I don't think we always want to take the show in that direction, but this is an episode where we really grapple with that. And I think the conversations on depth, especially, are really interesting and why that's a a very different thing than having a big decision space or a small decision space and what sets deep, deep games apart.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're right speaking to the beginning of the show right we're talking about like there's a lot of like kind of like nebulous terminology thrown around when when people speak to decision space and i think like deep this is like a deep decision space is one that comes up a lot and it makes sense because when you play a game that's something you're hit with right away when you're like starting to make your decision you're like oh wow there's a lot to think about this must be like a really big decision space so i think it's impossible for us to have the lens that we do with this show and ignore this concept entirely but i think this our effort to like sort of since it's something we're going to continue speaking to let's like try and understand more what it means and and what we're actually thinking about or, or what factors actually create that experience of big or deep decision spaces yeah absolutely so
1: that's episode 74 depth and size in board games
0: And the last two, we'll we'll pair them together because they are a pair of episodes, uh, is episode 48 and episode 98. So these are our two end of the year sort of blowout where uh, I think we do something that's pretty unique to our show where we look at all of the games that we've deep dived throughout the year and we rank them. We create a list of our favorite or sorry, our least favorite all the way up to our favorite Decision space slash game of the year, and I think these episodes are important. So episode forty-eight was when we did that for twenty twenty-one. Episode ninety-eight is when we did for all the games we covered in in twenty twenty-two. And I think the reason that these episodes are important isn't just because they're like a ton of fun and we get to like argue and debate with each other since our lists are our consensus, right? So you'll see our biggest disagreements of the year and that type of thing. I think they really like give you a better sense of who we are in our taste in games more so than you get out of just like the individual episodes because it really forces us, you know, the, the reality is we try and cover games that we like more so than others, right? Because we're going to be playing these games a lot. So we want to pick something that we at least think we'll enjoy. So we we really genuinely enjoy most of the games we cover on the show by design. But when it comes down to like ranking them against each other, you could have, you know, 15 games that you rated on the show between like a seven and eight. And now like, you know, 15 apart from each other feels like a huge difference. And it really is if, you know, you're going to be picking between those games for a game night. So I think for all those reasons, and the fact that like, you know, if you know our taste, perhaps you can use us to help guide your, you know, game playing decisions as well. I think they're essential listens.
1: These episodes are great, too. I will say you don't have to have played any or all of these games to enjoy these episodes. Jake and I, when we're discussing the games, always give a quick summary of what the game is, how how sort of the rough structure is before we sort of reflect on our thoughts about the game. So this is also these episodes are a natural way to sort of learn about every game we've covered on the show so far, uh, at least up to these stopping points. And then see if there's more episodes that you're interested in. I always have a blast recording these episodes with Jake. And they're some of our most listened to episodes. So they were sort of a no-brainer inclusion here. And I'm already, at the beginning of 2023, I'm already looking forward to next year's episode.
0: Me too. And it's like, we're not really like hot take people. I mean, sometimes we have hot takes on the shows, but that's not like what we're going for. We're not trying to be like, you know, div- divisive, attention-grabbing like that's not part of our marketing plan for better or worse right (laughs) Uh, yeah maybe that's why we have such a meager following no we're super grateful for all our listeners but in these shows it's like you can't get away from it right you come up with your list and you're like oh man that's at 26 for us people are gonna be pissed about that you know we put Agricola where (laughs) exactly (laughs) so i think for for that reason too uh just like the, those like moments that inevitably come out of these. Uh, they're a fun listen.
1: They're also cool because we get to talk about our favorite designers. So I'm not going to spoil anything, but definitely check out episodes 48 and 98. We rank all the games of 2021 and 2022. Jake, that's Decision Space 101. W- what do you think?
0: The last thing I wanted to tell new listeners is the other thing we try to do that I think is slightly unique to our show is we try and let our audience know ahead of time before we cover games and we call the people that like to play games along with us so that they can get a little bit more out of the episode our pre-planners and we have uh, and and these are people you know that just play games on their own to enjoy but also sometimes there are people that like to pop in our discord and play games with us to help us prepare for the episodes both through playing games and offering their insights Uh, so we're grateful for our pre-planner community so if that sounds like something you might like you should know that next week we'll be covering Renature by uh, Wolfgang Kramer and Michael Kiesling that is available to play for free on yukata.de a website uh, that offers many awesome digital implementations of board game Following that, we will be covering Coloretto in a couple weeks beyond that. And then beyond that, we'll be covering Barrage. And Coloretto and Barrage are both available on Board Game Arena. I'm not sure if they're premium games or not, but you can find them there. And you can certainly find people to play all of those with in the Decision Space Discord.
1: And Barrage will be, there's going to be lots of topical episodes interspersed, so we're going to give a lot of time for people to to learn and pre-plan Barrage with us, but we wanted to put it on the horizon as it's a pretty big game. And we'll, that's one where we're thinking maybe we'll do a double episode and really dive deep on that one uh, as it's a game that has a pretty big following and it it's pretty, pretty wide on the table.
0: It's a hefty one. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's it for Decision Space 101. I hope this gives you a really good idea of what we're about. And perhaps you found at least some of those uh, Touchstone episodes intriguing. And if so, I highly encourage you to check them out. And of course, if you're a longtime listener, perhaps uh, if, you, if you feel the urge to recommend Decision Space to your gaming group or friends or family, send them here to Decision Space 101 uh, as a launching point.
1: And if you'd like a list to all of the episodes that we talked about on the show today, you can go to decisionspacepodcast.com slash decisionspace101. And we'll have a full list and episode summary for today. So really conveniently, you can jump between listings on our website for all these episodes and listen to them there if that's convenient. As always, uh, there's a link to our Discord In the description of the show, uh, we encourage you to join it. And then also you can find Decision Space on Board Game Geek just by Googling Decision Space Board Game Geek. We always try to create a blog entry for every episode we make. So there'll be a list of the episodes we cover there as well.
0: We're also on Patreon at DecisionSpacePodcast.com slash Patreon. We're just four Patreon short of our 25 patron goal. So if you're incentivized to, to help us out financially all that money goes right back into the show and we are grateful for all of our patrons uh and the last thing to do here is just to thank hembry for their hit song reach out which we use as our intro and outro music thanks so much bye bye, bye.